And look at that. We are uh, all set to go again. So glad to have you on the show again today. Welcome. John Scholes here and breaking in some new talent today. Mackenzie Irwin, courtesy of Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP, is here to answer all of your questions. And based on the fact that she's already logged on to the Google Doc, she's connected via all the technical stuff. She's so far ahead of everybody else who's done this show this is going to be a breeze. I'm looking forward to it. Mackenzie, good to have you along. If you want to uh, reach out to Mackenzie any other time, by the way, uh, she practices all the time. She's ready to talk to you. one 821 5900 Email simply help at employmentlawyer.ca. Among other things on the show today, we're going to get to this topic. Mackenzie Irwin, what should I do if? And we're going to get to a bunch of those uh, talking points and questions, which I know uh, Mackenzie's been culminating over the last couple of weeks because they're very popular questions and things you need to know. But again, feel free to reach out uh, anytime. Mackenzie, good to have you on the show, pal. What uh, What's going on with the case of the day with you? Yeah, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. So, mm-hmm. um, well, I spoke to a very interesting fellow this week who he'd injured his shoulder in a ski accident. And so he worked on a machine and he required some minor accommodations um, following his injury to kind of help him continue working in his job. And this guy went through the various physiotherapy and rehab that you have to do when you injure your shoulder. Uh, He was doing that over the course of a year. And um, his employer continued to accommodate his injury throughout that time uh, so that he could continue working full time. Now, while his shoulder improved, eventually his doctor gave him the bad news that he would never get back to 100%. And in fact, Uh, His recovery had actually plateaued and he wouldn't actually be getting any better than he currently was. So, you know, obviously he was very disappointed with this, but it wasn't too big of a deal for him because he was still able to work in his job with the minor accommodation, which he'd been doing for over a year. Mm, Um, Once, however, once he informed his company that his shoulder would never go back to to 100%, they all of a sudden called him into a meeting and told him that they were going to have to let him go. Um, so this guy had been working, he gave me a call, thank God, but he, uh, he gave, he had been working for the company for over 30 years. Um, and they had offered him only 34 weeks of severance. So, you know, I'm so glad that he called me because not only is he owed significantly more than 34 weeks, he's, he's likely owed up to 24 months of pay. Um, he's also likely entitled to human rights damages as well. So we're going to get working on that file for him and get him what he's actually owed. So in this case, I mean, they, they did make some accommodation for some time, but should they, their big mistake, I guess, was not going further. I mean, you can't just say, you know what, eh, we've done what we can, idiots, because he's been there for 30 years, it's going to cost them dearly. But they should have they should have gone further with the accommodation. No, this is not even close to what they call the point of undue hardship, correct? Well, absolutely, yeah. Because the company had actually been doing, uh, had been accommodating his injury for up to a year, they can't all of a sudden say, oh, now all of a sudden we've hit that undue hardship and we can't possibly accommodate you for any more, any further after a year of doing so. So, I mean, they, they've, they're going to have um, a lot, the company's going to have a, a, a big burden to meet if they're going to try and prove that. Just to clarify the uh, you know that threshold of undue hardship, what what does that exactly mean? I mean, it sounds like a very legal term, but in layman's terms, what does that mean for an employer? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's different. There's no hard set rule of what what is right. and is not, so it's it's very case specific. But um, you know, uh, things that the court would consider when evaluating undue hardship is you know how how much it costs. Um, essentially what the employer is going to have to prove is that there were no other alternatives that they'd done everything that they can, um, to accommodate and they just couldn't do it. 
And I guess that threshold is uh, wider or bigger. It's greater the bigger and the more resources a company would have, right, rather opposed to a corner mom-and-pop pizza shop, right? Absolutely, yeah. So uh. it, it, they take into consideration, you know, the characteristics of the company and, 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 and what cost it might have to each individual company for, for sure. Yeah. Again, reaching out to uh, Mackenzie anytime when we're not doing the show. You can reach out now too as well, but anytime outside of the, the hour of the show, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. And uh, that severance that Mackenzie was just talking about with that client, a 30-year uh, employee, you want to find out what yours would be anytime. It's really simple. The math is there. It's pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. And rolled into that sucker, that website, which is free and anonymous, by the way, is the severance pay calculator. That'll give you a pretty clear shot of what you wrote if it ever came down the pike that you were, uh, you were also let go. That's what it's designed for. But getting into this uh, topic of the uh, the day, Mackenzie, everyone, what should I do? Number one, this one has been a huge topic for the last two years, and that is I've been placed on a temporary layoff with no set return date. What are my rights? Yeah, this one is a big one. Since no. the pandemic, there's been so many calls worth people being placed on temporary layoffs. So um, generally speaking, an employer in Ontario does not have the right to place you on a temporary layoff. Um, in doing so, this is likely a constructive dismissal and you you're, you may be entitled to severance. Now, I say generally speaking because there are some situations when this may not be the case. For example, um, if there's a layoff provision in your employment contract that you've agreed to, or um, if your employer has established a pattern of placing you on those regular layoffs in the past, now, you know, I wouldn't just assume that because there's something in your contract that that's um, that, you're, you know, the layoff is not um, is not a constructive dismissal. It's still probably worthwhile speaking with an employment lawyer to see whether that's truly enforceable. But overall, if you've been placed on a temporary layoff, it's it's very important that you inform your employer in writing that you do not agree to being placed on that layoff. And then it's important that you obviously speak with an employment lawyer right away. So it, it, could there be two different scenarios here? One that is already written into your contract that, among the other things, we uh, reserve the right to put you on know, a temporary layoff if necessary, blah, blah, blah. Or if they come to you, like so many people, millions have, have been over this last two years, their company, without it being written in a contract, they've put them on a layoff because of the pandemic and they maybe have gone back to work since. Now, is, is it at that point what they would call an implied term? of their contract now that the employer's done it once well we can do it again if we need to right which is not good yeah exactly and so that's why it's so important when you the first time you're put on that temporary layoff that you inform your employer in writing that you're not agreeing to it um it if you do return after um being placed on a layoff you accept the recall um you do run the risk of uh the company you're giving the company the argument to make that you know because you've been placed on a temporary layoff and you've returned that you've actually agreed to that term and it now forms a part of uh, your empl- the terms of your employment. If you're, let me ask you this, though, when it comes to that layoff, if your employer has come to you and said, you know, this is going to be a very short-term thing, it's not going to be years or even months, it might be a few weeks, and, and you still don't like the sound of it and you're scared of, of what you just mentioned might happen, can you say in writing to your employer, say, look, I, you know, I love working here, it's it's a good thing, I want to be, a, you know, the company soldier, I'll take it for a spin for a bit. I'll let you do it this one time, but this is not going to be a regular thing, nor will it be, you know, baked into my contract from here on in. Can you do something like that to, pr- 
protect yeah, yourself. Yeah, you can you can absolutely do something like that. It's but uh, again, I stress it's so so important that you actually put that in writing that you're only agreeing to it for a temporary um, you know, for 2 weeks or whatever you're agreeing to it and that it it is not you're not agreeing to it as being part of uh, the terms of your employment going forward. And again, even before you draft something like that, reach out to uh, to Mackenzie and her team for sure. That number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred, or send the details to her. Right, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Uh, number two of Mackenzie, what should I do if my manager is putting me on a performance improvement plan? Never good. Uh, I'm worried that they'll use this to fire me. Now, what do I do? Yeah, these um, I'm, this is a really tricky one. So uh. certainly, if if you don't agree with what's being said in the performance improvement plan. Um, it's very important that you don't sign it um, and that you tell your employer, again, in writing, um, that you do not agree with it and why. So you can pr- kind of provide some justification as to why it's, it's you know, it's not applicable. Or it doesn't really, um, why it's not right. Um, now, John, one, uh, no one's perfect. No one's a perfect <laughs> employee. And I'm sure there are things that all of us can work on in our job. So, um if the performance improvement plan is for something that is legitimate and is something that you, you know, you agree that you could improve on, um, then you need to really make sure that your employer is clearly communicating to you exactly what the issue is with your performance, um, how they want you to improve, what their expectations are for you going forward, um, and how you will know when you've met their expectations. So your employer is really going to need to provide you with sufficient training or any coaching to help you achieve those expectations. And they're also going to you need to make sure that they're giving you enough time to, to make the required changes. Um, so you're going to want to make sure that your employer has scheduled regular check-in meetings with you um, in order to update you on how you're doing and whether you're making those uh, required changes. Now that performance improvement plan you mentioned you have to if you want to rebut the fact that you don't think it's 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 fair you should do that in writing. Now if you do that and you don't get a response back from your employer, does that make a difference? Is it the you know, the old case of silence is the same as acceptance or do you demand a response? Um I mean silence is it, it's better to get a response and I would I would mm-hmm. follow up with them to kind of clarify, you know, is is this, you know, where are we at with this? Am I, you know, are are we going are we moving into that next phase where you're going to need to have those regular meetings, make sure that everything's clearly communicated to you. Um, but yeah, ultimately, um, you're going to want to kind of follow up and make sure that you're getting some sort of response from them. And how far can an employer from the employer's side now, if someone comes to you and says, you know, Mackenzie, I got an employee, I just want your advice, I want to put them on a, uh, a performance improvement plan. How far, how far along can they rely on that to eventually maybe let someone go for cause? Is it still yeah. a high threshold? It's an extremely high threshold no. to no. to uh, terminate someone for cause, and and um, ultimately they're going to have you know they're going to have to really be be ensure that they're really well documenting everything that they're doing, um, and all of the efforts that the company has done to help that employee um, correct what other whatever's identified in the performance improvement plan. So, absolutely, if if that's um, what the employer is trying to do, you know, there's some um, significant issue with the employee's performance. Um, they're going to need to make sure that they're, you know, they have all their ducks in a row and that they're really um, thorough in how they're um, going about implementing that 
performance improvement plan. And with that, we'll take a short break. More of those talking points on the way. Mackenzie, what do I do if? We'll get to lots more of those for the remainder of the hour. You can always send along an email to help at employmentlawyer.ca and to reach Mackenzie and her team anytime. You know, one 821 5900 We'll continue. This is the Employment Law Show. Yeah, and we're back at it. Mackenzie Irwin, courtesy of Sanfiru Tamark and LLP, is doing all the heavy lifting here on the show today. Good to have you along. You want to reach out, Mackenzie, anytime. Always available for a chat and for information. That's one 821 5900 Again, one 821 5900 Email simple, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And I did mention this last segment, the website that's absolutely free, anonymous, full of employment law information that you need to know. And the severance pay calculator that can be found at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But we are covering on the show today, Mackenzie. This is happening. What do I do? I'm lost for words. I need help. The next one is my boss is giving half of my hours to a new younger employee. Can they do that? And then what should I do? I mean, no. Generally speaking, your employer does not have the right to make any substantial changes to your job, such as reducing your hours or reducing your pay or anything like that. So uh, this could very well be a constructive dismissal. And you could be entitled to severance and possibly even some human rights damages if the changes are being made uh, on the basis of your age. Um, In these situations, it's really, really important that you act quickly uh, and immediately inform your employer in writing. Again, you have to do it and make sure that you're making all of these communications with your employer in writing um, that you do not agree to these changes. Um, If your employer insists on keeping those changes, uh, you should you should consult with an employment lawyer as soon as possible because um, ultimately, if you leave it um, and weeks go by and you work under those new conditions, um, your employer can make the argument that you've actually agreed to those changes by continuing to work, um, and that you know that you can't enforce or you can't assert a constructive dismissal after that point. You know, it's interesting, too, because in that point, it's mentioned, you know, to a younger, newer, younger employer. Is there some sort of discrimination, ageism thing that can be rolled into that or that's that's inconsequential? I mean, absolutely. um, There's not Uh. enough information, but, you know, there could be here, you know, if, if there's only yourself and one other person who works in that position and the other person is quite younger, is much younger than you. Um, and it's clear that your employer is taking those hours and giving them to the younger employee because for, I don't know, they, they, um, you know, you're not as, as an, as, uh, as good at, uh, you don't have this good yeah. computer skills or something. Um, that could be a human rights violation. Again, reaching out to Mackenzie anytime, 1-855-821-5900 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. We're, we're, we're talking about things, how to navigate them if they happen in your workplace and when you should call uh, Mackenzie immediately. Next one is this, Mackenzie, I'm ready to return to work from a leave, but my boss said I have no job to return to. He's even offered to help me get EI. Nice guy. Should uh, Should I accept his help? Oh boy. Yes. Um, so <laughs> definitely, you know, at, at, at the end of any leave, um, the employees have the right to get their, your job back or a comparable job if your job no longer exists. So, uh, if your pl- employer doesn't do this, um, and they, you know, they say, you know, you have no job to return to, oh, well, well, we're such nice people. We'll help you get employment insurance. Um, if your employer doesn't re- return you to your job, you're, you're owed severance and, and potentially human rights damages as well here. 
Um, so if you're, let's say, for example, your company has restructured during your leave and your job truly does not exist anymore, yep. um, your, your company must offer you a comparable job. If a comparable job doesn't exist, then you're absolutely owed severance, um, again, and potentially human rights damages. So I actually had a client recently who experienced exactly that. Um, she was a physiotherapist at a clinic um, and she went on her maternity leave. Um, her employer hired someone to cover her position in her absence. And when she was ready to return to work, she contacted her employer and said, hi, I'm ready to come back. Um, and her employer informed her that her position actually no longer existed. It was a bit fishy because uh, she noticed that her replacement was now working full time in her position. So um, she contacted us and and we were able to secure her not only a fair severance package, but also human rights damages for the, the um, human rights violation here. So this kind of situation should really be a red flag for employees. Um, you know, everyone's entitled to return to their job after um, after any any sort of leave. So you should absolutely speak with an employment lawyer if this has happened to you. Let's for a moment break down the difference between, you know, when we say leave, let's say, for instance, you know, the one example is like a disability leave. You're coming back from a disability leave to work. The other one, you're coming back from a parental leave. Now, the difference being, and you can you can clarify this for me if there is a difference. The disability leave when you come back, it may not be your own job, but there's got to be a job for you. Whereas parental leave, don't you have to be back at the same job that you left, regardless of even if they've hired a replacement who's an absolute rock star and can run circles around you? Doesn't matter. They have to give your job back if that's the case. No. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. There is that distinction there between no. a, a, a paternity, a maternity or parental leave, um, and a, a medical leave. Absolutely. And so, um, a paternity leave, um, you're you're really entitled to exactly your job when you return. So, um, many people kind of overlook that distinction. But um, in any event, if if you you've been denied your job. Um, when you're ready to return from a leave, um, it, it's really important that you do reach out to an employment lawyer because you, not only are you owed severance, but for example, um, it, with the client I was just speaking about, um, when she's on maternity leave, the fact that she's returning from a maternity leave mm-hmm. actually it, um, lengthens um the notice period that she's entitled to. So she's actually entitled to more damages, um, more severance um, when you're returning from a, a maternity leave. For uh, from any employers listening out there, is there any way that this becomes, I won't say, an okay thing to do? For instance, maybe it's not just you who's being being singled out not to come back, whether it's a disability leave or a paternal leave. Um, what if it's the entire department that's being shut down, so nobody in your department no longer has a job? How does that change the equation? Yeah, exactly. So you know, as I kind of was saying, um, if the company's restructured and yeah. you know, let's say they've eliminated an entire department, and there's no difference between you or who was on a leave and someone who was working in your position um, throughout, and they've just eliminated every job, um, and your job truly does not exist anymore, then yeah, um, they're they're you know they they have no choice but to let you go. But you're absolutely entitled to severance. So um, that you know helping when this employer is saying they're helping uh offer to help me get employment insurance yeah that that's that's all well and good but you're, you're that company still owes you severance 
Again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. the number anytime to reach out to Mackenzie and her team. Always willing to have a chat with you and clear things up. You can also go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well as the severance pay calculator. There's all kinds of information about severance, being let go, are you an independent contractor, being on disability. There's tons of information on the website. Again, always free, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Next one is this, Mackenzie. Answer me this. I've just been fired. I have 48 hours. Two days to sign a severance offer that the company says is generous, quotes, air quotes, generous. Should I sign it before the offer expires? Absolutely not. (laughs) Do not sign that. No. Um, These tight deadlines are so arbitrary. Um, The only reason, and it should be a red flag for any employee employee who uh, receives some a severance offer with a very tight deadline. That should be an immediate red flag. So deadlines for signing severance uh, severance packages are arbitrary. The only reason an employer sets a deadline is really to pressure you into signing their offer. If you don't accept it within the deadline, the offer is not necessarily off the table. So People always are, are, you know, get a little stressed out about these deadlines. You know, I need to, I need to sign it back, or else it's going to be gone. Um, but these short timelines, like forty-eight hours, they should really be a huge red flag. It's very likely that it's actually a terrible severance offer. Um, if you're given a tight deadline to accept a severance offer, you should, you should have that offer reviewed by an employment lawyer. And so, I've go ahead. No, I was just going to say you have you have two years to to not that you would ever take two years, but I mean you have two years to to talk to someone like you, correct? Absolutely, yeah. You have two yeah. years to file claims, so you you know you, that that two that two day deadline is is really it's it's quite arbitrary. In fact, I've seen situations where companies have offered the employees you know two or three weeks to consider their severance offer, and and sometimes up to two hundred dollars to obtain legal advice. These kinds of severance offers show that the company believes that they're, that, you know, that they are providing you with a good offer, and they do want you to go off and get legal advice and make sure that it is a good offer because they want to treat you fairly. Um, but I can assure you that if if a company is giving you a tight timeline to sign it back, um, it's very likely that it's not it's not a very good severance offer. So don't be fooled by the by their pressure to sign. Um, because if you do sign, it's it's unfortunate because it's likely that an employment lawyer can't help you, um, and you could have given up significant severance, and sometimes you know you could be giving up up to you know 24 months of severance. So um, there it, it, there are some situations where if you have signed um, a, a, accepted a, a severance package within a tight deadline that um, we might be able to argue that you've signed the offer under duress, but it's really better for you um, to tell your employer that you need more time uh, to think about it and to call us and have some, have the offer reviewed by, by one of, by myself or one of my colleagues. Yeah, it's interesting. We often joke that if, you know, your severance offers, you know, the one they're offering you pays 50 cents on the dollar, it makes no sense to saying, look, you got to, we're going to give you this 50 cents on the dollar, but you got to sign two days from now. Meanwhile, they owe you another 50, 50% more. Why would you sign? It makes no sense. Why would you sign for that? You're not losing, you're losing tons. You're not gaining anything by just saying, okay, good. Sorry about your pressure, pressure tactic. I got to sign this right away. Of course, you're not going to sign it. It makes, uh, it makes absolutely no sense, right? Yeah. Just get what you wrote. Yeah, nine times out of ten, uh, when people come to me with a, to review one of their severance offers, that that offer absolutely can be improved. So, 
it's it's almost never the case where the company is giving you their best offer right off the bat. So um, it's always worthwhile to reach out and just to make sure that um, that even if you think that severance offer is good, uh, just reach out and and see. You know, you, it's likely that you're owed more. I want to switch gears here in just a moment to another topic. I want to slide an email in before we take a break. This one from uh, Jana. She says, uh, hey, Mackenzie, I was fired without warning after nearly 20 years with the company. When I asked about getting a few weeks pay as severance, a few weeks, my manager told me that because I never had an employment contract, the company doesn't need to give me any compensation. Brilliant. Yeah, Is that right, says Jana. No, absolutely not. No. Um, the only time an employer can terminate your employment without uh, compensation is if they have just cause. So um, just cause is incredibly difficult to establish. And, and an employer um, who asserts just cause, uh, you know, they assert it all the time when they legally don't have it. So um, it, it actually does not matter, Jana, that um, if you don't have an employment contract in place. In fact, it's actually better for her um, because she's entitled to her full severance, which could be up to um, 24 months, depending on how old she is. Um, so, Jana, I, I strongly suggest that you you reach out to our firm to schedule a call to discuss your situation in more detail because you're absolutely entitled to severance and we can certainly help you get that. Yeah, you think after 20 years, you know, a few weeks pay is going to be, uh, you know, literally pennies on the dollar. And, and to your point, a lot of people don't realize that. And we, and we talk about this exact thing quite often on this show over the last decade that, you know, it's counterintuitive to think, you know, I would rather have a, a you know, a 30-page binder all detailing my employment contract rather than something written on a napkin or a handshake. That's it's It's so much better the other way around, isn't it, when there's nothing there for you? Absolutely. You know, those employment contracts are really only in place to protect the employer. And so, um, you know, in signing an employment contract, you should really always um, you should always have it reviewed before you're signing it as an employee. And it should be a red flag to you if your employer is asking you to sign something, uh, an, an employment contract, for example, halfway through your, you know, five years into your employment. So, the only reason an employer uh, that an empl- employer is going to ask you to sign an employment contract is to protect them and not to protect the employee. Going to slide over to everything you need to know about termination for cause. That is coming up after a short break. In the meantime, reaching out to uh, Mackenzie and the team, 1-855-821-5900, help at employmentlawyer.ca, and the website, free, anonymous, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll continue. This is the Employment Law Show. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. You bet. Back at it here. Employment Law Show. Mackenzie Irwin is in the hot seat today answering all of your questions. You want to reach out to Mackenzie anytime. By the way, you can do that. Waiting, standing by, always ready to talk. one 821 5900 Help at employmentlawyer.ca and the website we like to use and direct everybody to it. It is free. It's anonymous. Severance Pay Calculator can be found there as well. By the way, over 2 million people have used that Severance Pay Calculator to have their eyes open up big time. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is how you do that. Okay, moving on to our next uh, topic for the remainder of the show. We'll uh, try to get some calls, some emails as well. Everything you need to know about termination for cause. We like to cover this topic every couple months because there's a lot of confusion. Mackenzie, uh, first question, the most basic one. Uh, what is termination for cause? Yeah, you're you're completely right. It's it's uh, it's one of those topics in employment law that is just always misconstrued and misunderstood. So. 
Termination for cause is when an employer terminates an employee without paying them any severance. Um, it's often referred to as the capital punishment in employment law. Um, and, and the reason for that is that it should really be reserved as a last resort for only the most severe um, instances. So uh, an employer can only terminate an employee for cause in a very, very narrow set of circumstances. Um, for example, um, if an employer has uh, employee has used uh, the employer has used a series of progressive discipline on an employee, um, and that employee refuses to correct the behavior after being provided with training and opportunity to correct it. Um, another example could be if an employee is um, knowingly commits uh, a, a criminal offense in the course of their employment. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you always taught that it's a it's a pretty high threshold. In fact, how difficult is it really to establish termination for cause? Because I know a lot of employers they don't know any better and they don't talk to you and they just pull the trigger on it way too early, right? Absolutely. This is a huge issue. So um, it's not called the capital punishment of employment law for no reason. So uh, it, it's incredibly difficult for an employer to establish, establish a termination for cause. You know, a, a company must make sure that they've got all of their ducks in a row um, and that they've consult. Ultimately, they should be consulting with an employment lawyer before ter- pulling the trigger and terminating an employee for cause. Um, otherwise, they're exposing themselves to liability, not only for paying that employee for the severance that they're likely owed, um, but possibly additional damages for asserting cause when they likely did not have it. So um, it's really, really, you know, it's important to consult with that employment lawyer uh, that the company does consult so that um, so that they're not exposing themselves to those additional damages. Um, you know, in order for a company to establish cause, they're going to need to have a thorough and very detailed um, paperwork in place documenting the the incident um, and the investigation that they've conducted or um, to have documentation of the um, showing the progressive discipline that they went through with the employee, all the opportunities that they provided that um, employee to correct that behavior to show that that employee just simply refused to correct it. And, and um, there was, you know, willful, um, they chose not to correct it. Yeah. It's interesting that word willful. I mean, quite often it's the fact that an employee, maybe they knocked over a skid of supplies or maybe they mistakenly banged up one of the company vehicles. And that for most employees hearing this show would say, yeah, for sure. That's a fireable cause right there out the door. But that, that if it's not done willingly, if it's an honest mistake done once or twice, that still does not rise to the level of cause in most cases, does it? Absolutely. You know, for something to rise to the level of cause, as I've been kind of saying all along, it's it's a really, really high threshold. So no, you know, you really need to be purposefully doing something over and over again um, in order to to meet that threshold. And and absolutely, if you've made a mistake um, and you've knocked over a skid, you know, that's while while your employer is absolutely in you know they it's their prerogative whether they want to, to terminate you 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 are owed severance in a situation like that you're still owed severance that's that's an interesting defining line right there yeah they can still let you go for banging up the company car but they'd have to pay you severance at that point because it hasn't risen to the level of cause so that's a, that's an important distinction right there right yeah, that's one that I think many people don't, you know, don't make that distinction and they just, oh, no, I've made a terrible mistake. Oh, um, you know, they, they're, my company can fire me and, and I'm probably not owed anything. That's absolutely not the case. 
Yeah, we often we often joke in the show that you go in one day and the fact that your employer doesn't like the fact that you're wearing a blue shirt, they can actually fire you for that. As stupid as that would be, and it wouldn't happen, they can do it as long as they pay you full severance. But how about uh, how about length of uh, employment? Is that a factor in termination for cause? Meaning you got one employee who's been there for six months and the next guy or girl's been there for 25 years. They pull the same screw up, and uh, would that factor in their length of employment termination for cause? Yeah, absolutely. The threshold for establishing co- establishing cause um, is higher for an employee who's been there longer. So for someone with 20 years of service, um, as compared to someone who's only been there for six months. Um, but, you know, if let's say, for example, you've been working at your company for 15 years without any issues, and all of a sudden, you're receiving a performance improvement plan, um, and are sub- subsequently terminated for cause, that 15-year employee is going to need to have, uh, that, the company is going to need to provide that 15-year employee with uh, more opportunity um, a- 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 to correct it than, for example, someone uh, maybe with six months of service. That's an interesting distinction you made there. Someone who's been there for 15 or 20 years, they've been, you know, pretty much a squeaky clean employee. Also, now they're put on a performance improvement plan. That kind of, that, that, that smells, you know, my spidey sense would tell me that that, that employer is working on getting a case together to let them go possibly without severance because they've been there for 15 or 20 years and it would be a big financial burden. No. Absolutely. I see this all the time. And, yeah. and, um, you know, an employer, employers know, you know, shoot, um, um, Sally's been here for 30 years and, um, uh, you know, she's not really pulling her weight as much, but um, it's going to be really expensive for us to let her go. We should probably start. You know, and so as they do, they start um, documenting and, and putting her on a performance improvement plan. And so when when someone like Sally comes to me, they can usually, you know, they usually know they can read between the lines and they can see that this is what's happening. And so um, unfortunately, most people wait until they've actually been fired for cause before coming to us. But um, the, you know, if, if you think you've been put on a, a performance improvement plan or something, there's something fishy going on and, um, in your employment, it, it's sometimes important for you to, to reach out before you're terminated because there might be something that an employment lawyer can do to help you navigate the situation in the background. Do you get any severance if you're fired for cause? We'll tackle that after a short break, which we're going to dive into right now. So stick around. We'll get to more of those and maybe a couple of emails as we continue on with the hour. And reaching out to Mackenzie outside the hour of the show, as you know, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca and the website free. Anonymous, you can use anytime. Lots of information there and contact pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. We'll continue with the Employment Law Show. Stand by. All righty, welcome back to it. Good to have you on the remainder of the show. Reaching out to uh, Mackenzie Irwin, who's uh, doing all the heavy lifting on the show today. You can do that uh, when we're done. No problem. one 821 5900 one You want more of a lengthy uh, private uh, conversation with Mackenzie, that's how you do it. Email as well, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Let's continue on our talk about uh, temporary layoffs and termination for cause and all that stuff. Where it's it's all being touched in this show, so we're going to get to more of these. Uh, fired for cause, big question. Do you get severance if that happens? So now, if it truly is cause, um, then no, you're, you're not entitled to any severance. However, it's not up to the company to decide whether or not its cause. So a company saying that they have cause does not hold really, it doesn't really hold much weight. Um, and it's very important that employees don't just assume that their employer is right. Um, if you've been fired for cause, it's really, really important to speak to an employment lawyer right away because 
nine times out of 10, um, when someone comes to me because they've been fired for cause, the company's actually wrong and, and the employee is entitled to severance. So in my, my practice, I, I tend to notice that people, people, when they're fired for cause, they tend to see the, the writing on the wall before they're terminated for cause. They can see that their company is trying to build a case for cause against them. Um, when it's someone who's got, you know, a new, whether it's someone who's got a new manager after 15 years with the company, um, and and they're going through a change and all of a sudden, uh, they receive a performance improvement plan or, or their first warning in in 15 years, that person really needs to come speak to, um, an employment lawyer, myself, or one of my colleagues as early as possible, because, um, they don't, they shouldn't wait until they're actually filed, fired for cause, you know, because, um, if you speak to us earlier, um, we can really help that person um, structure a strategy to navigate this tricky situation. Um, and the earlier you speak with us, the more that we can really be of use to you. And uh, again, reaching out uh, to Mackenzie now, as you mentioned, at one 821 5900 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. Uh, chances, as far as that's concerned, how many, you know, quote unquote, chances should an employee get in this case? Yeah, this is a tricky one. You know, there, uh. there really is no black and white rule for this. So, um, the you know, the more minor the incident, uh, the more chances the employee should really get to correct that behavior. Um, another factor to consider is is the longer that you've worked there, the more chances that you should should really get to correct it. Um, you know, in in almost every situation outside of um, knowingly committing c- criminal misconduct in the workplace, you should at least be given a, a few chances. So there's a very narrow set of circumstances where it's kind of a one one shot and you're and you're done type deal. How does an employer, speaking from an employer side or speaking uh, for an employer now, how do they start to, to, to build a case to terminate somebody for cause rather than, as we've mentioned earlier, just pulling the trigger and, and dropping them right away for one incident? Yeah, exactly. You know, this is a really, um, really incredibly difficult and tricky situation to navigate. Um, an employer is going to have to um, to use progressive discipline to build that case for cause um, and they've got to really meticulously document every step of the way. Um, so it's really important that an employer, you know, if you're thinking about term, that you might have cause or, or that you, you should be terminating an employee for cause, um, it's important to, you know, speak with an employment lawyer before pulling the trigger on that. So to make sure that you actually, you know, you've got your ducks in a row. So um, in terms of that progressive discipline, it would really start with um, an initial disciplinary meeting, usually where um, the employer is clearly telling that employee what the issue is. Um, they must, the employer must really um, clearly communicate their expectations, um, provide that employee with the coaching and/or training if appropriate. Um, they should be holding regular meetings to support the employee to make um, the expected change. Um, and give them ample opportunities to um, and time to make that change. Um, the employer is going to also need to be mindful of of whether the performance issue identified is you know possibly the result of a potential illness or disability um, with that employee. Um, so, for example. If your employee is consistently late or not showing up to work, that's one that I often get from my employer clients. Um, 
it, it could be the case that those behaviors are actually the result of maybe a, an addiction or a mental health illness that the employee is actually struggling with. So uh, legally speaking, employers have a duty to inquire as to whether um, these performance issues might be the result of a disability or an illness. And if so, um, they need to in- accommodate that employee. So if your employee is suffering from an illness or a disability, um, the employer should really be providing them with support, um, the resources to help them, and and ultimately the accommodation, um, rather than jumping to terminating them for cause. Um, failing to do so really opens them up to potential liability for human rights damages or, or additional damages above and beyond um, the severance that they're owed. Um, if they do jump, uh, you know, pull the trigger and, and terminate some for cause who's really actually just suffering from some sort of illness or disability. And that's a, that's a good time to uh, send out a reminder now to, you know, small, medium or large employers for that matter. If you're, if you're considering doing that, you'll want to know all the steps to take, proper to steps to take so you don't get in financial hot water, especially. Uh, you can reach out to uh, Mackenzie anytime, one 821 5,900. Get to, uh, to an email here. Ryan says, uh, Hey, Mackenzie, a coworker keeps viciously harassing me on a daily basis. When I first reported it to my supervisor, they spoke to the worker, which stopped the issue for a while, but it has since started up again. And now my manager says, I'll just have to deal with it. Some days I can barely drag myself into work due to the stress. What are my options? Yeah, you absolutely have lots of options here. You know, no employee should ever have to experience this kind of harassment in the workplace. Um, And and you should never be told, you know, you just have to deal with harassment. Um, In fact, the government has gone to great lengths to enact laws to protect employees from harassment in the workplace and to hold employers to specific standards and required actions Um, so that employers are ensuring that they're offering a harassment-free workplace. If you're being harassed at work and your employer is not doing anything about it, um, this is likely a constructive dismissal due to a toxic work environment and you're you're entitled to severance. So, um, you know, what I would suggest to Ryan here um, is that he, he speak with his doctor about what's been happening to him at work and how he's feeling. Um, it sounds like Ryan's may be suffering from some sort of medical issue as a result of the harassment in the workplace. And if Ryan's doctor agrees, um, he should he should write a doctor's note for Ryan uh, to be off work. Um, you know, the most important thing we have is our health and uh, no job should really require you to sacrifice that. So um, once he's removed from the harassment, um, Ryan should contact an employment lawyer to determine the best course of action. But ultimately, this is likely a constructive dismissal. And that is it for another show. Mackenzie Irwin right there. You want to reach out to Mackenzie now or any other time, 1-855-821-5900. I'll give you that email again, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And then pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, the website free and anonymous too. And we'll catch you next time. Employment Law Show.